Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored, a podcast where I unfold, with the help of my brave guests from across the world, how sustainability practices are integrated into business operations in various industries. My name is Anna, and I'm an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of this show. Today, we have a great interview coming up about light and its importance to the well-being and sustainability of us as humans. I invited Terry John, the founder of Life Light Studio, based in London, UK, to discuss how light changes our mood, whether overhead light is a good idea at all, and how to boost our own systems when it's raining like weeks in a row. All right, let's dive right into it. But before we start, you can use this moment to subscribe to this very podcast to always be up to date with the sustainability news across countries and industries. Let's go. Hi, Terry. Thanks for joining me today at Sustainability Export. As I started kind of a series of episodes regarding the well-being of the workplace, which became a home place, home workplace, uh, I'd like to extend uh, this conversation to one particular aspect, which is light. Um, several weeks ago, I released already an episode on well-being health with the uh, environmental psychologist from the UK, also your neighbor. And today I would like to focus on light. But before we start, could you please introduce yourself in a broader sense as a light consultant? Uh, what's your background, how you went to this um, topic? how you got there, and what is happening in your professional life now. Okay, Anna, thank you very much for inviting me along. That's uh, very nice of you. Um, right, where do I start? Um, I suppose my interest in lighting first started in theatrical lighting, which started as a hobby, then turned into a little bit of a, a part-time job, really. But I was fascinated by the way that you could change the mood of maybe 2,000 people sitting together um, almost at the flick of a switch and you still see that today in the theatre and on TV and um, obviously in retail and that really got me thinking about light and I joined a lighting company way way back when it was just all fluorescent stuff learned my trade did all my lighting federation exams and basically sold a lot of projects and then in recent times with LED coming on stream Whereas with fluorescent and a lot of the regulations that we had in the UK, it was quite restricted how the lighting design was done. Um, talking about computer lighting for computer screens. Creativity has come back into the arena. But with that, of course, as while there's been good creativity, <laughs> there's also been some bad creativity. And also with my working with people with certain conditions, so seasonal affective disorder, working with somebody who works with retailers, trying to make their spaces more uh, attractive to people with, say, dementia or autism or anxiety, um, I've realised how important light is as a basic human need. And that's really where I'm going at the moment, trying to get the message across that we should be regarding light as important as any other nutrition, food or water or exercise. So 30 years I've been doing this, I guess, and it's taken me a long time to get to this point. <laughs> when you say light is a nutrition, it almost makes me feel like I'm a plant and photosynthesizing. That's also kind of a food 
for the cells now? Yeah, well, actually, you know, you're not far off the point, really, are you? Because, as I mentioned before, that light photons are just little packets of energy. And we receive those packets of energy the same way that a plant does. And okay, we don't all go green and photosynthesize, but we do make vitamin D, for instance. And um, obviously, with the uh, more recent discovery of the uh, intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, from the work that Professor Russell Foster did in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, we've realised what an important effect that light, particularly daylight and sunlight in the morning and then in the evening with warmer light, has on our hormonal balance, which then in turn has an effect on our mood, our behaviours and our immunity system as well. You have your own consultancy, right? I do, yes. I was working with some major lighting companies and then one of them decided to give up on the UK market and <laughs> went back to, to Europe, um, which was a shame. And another one, unfortunately, um, got into financial difficulties and just went. So I set myself up because what I wanted to offer clients, end user clients and architects, was an independent lighting survey. Most manufacturers will offer a free lighting survey, but a lot of end-user clients are wary about taking that up because they may feel obliged to stay with that one company. They feel restricted in their ability to specify and purchase and install different products. My theory was that end-user clients would be interested in having an independent lighting survey, albeit one that they pay for, but one that was neutral and unbiased and would tell it as it was and that's been great because what i've been able to do is work with a lot of clients particularly a lot of um, public authorities that sort of thing where they've had issues with staff so people with maybe getting a lot of migraines or just lack of productivity or high absenteeism and very often you go in sometimes i'm recommended by some people that i've worked with in the past and they say We think we need to call somebody in like Terry to have a look at your lighting. And you walk in and you go, ha, huh, I can see why you've got problems. <laughs> and very often these things are quite easy to put right. And sometimes it's just a behavioural change. Sometimes you don't need to do an awful lot with the lighting. Maybe just move it around a bit, open blinds, or just educate people. What you just said before we started the recording, it's really hitting me right now as i said i was weather dependent and we couldn't have this conversation as planned so we had to postpone because of my uh, this severe headache and now i'm understand i start to understand i should add some light if the days are rainy and you know there is no light in the next week as the the yeah. forecast says really i already put here the um, what is it called in English, the guirland, the little lights that you put on the Christmas tree? Ah, oh, yes, yeah, the garlands, yes, yeah. Garlands, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah I, I use that, but during the daytime, I don't have it. Now that people are spending, like most of us, and I used to say the luckiest of us, those who are working from home, we spend 100% of our time indoors. What would you suggest we do? Right. Well, the main thing I find, and particularly it's been important during the lockdown, because obviously a lot of people have been um, restricted working at home. And what uh, a lot of people have said to me, and I've written a couple of articles for people that do workplace surveys and where they do physiotherapy and this sort of thing. And 
I talk to them about their lighting conditions at home. And I say, did you used to commute to the office? And they say, oh, yes, yes, I used to leave the home at seven o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock to get to my office at nine or whatever. I said, well, use that time to go for a walk, (laughs) go outside. And 20, 30 minutes in the morning light is brilliant. That's all you need to reset your circadian rhythm, to give you a bit of a boost, um, to give you a dose of of serotonin basically because the blue light waves that we get in the morning sunlight will get your pituitary gland to send a message and say ping 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 let's get the serotonin running through the body and that gets us alert and feeling awake and ready for the rest of the day it's just a simple thing whereas people might easily say oh well, i'll spend another half hour in bed no get up at the normal time <laughs> get outside for 30 minutes and um, you'll find that really works very, very well. It was my thought. I was uh, chatting with the former colleague from the bank and I was saying, what's the point of going to the office now? Because they are reopening and people are invited to go. And she says, well, honestly, I'm, I'm fine where I am. And I was like, you know, really, instead of spending even an hour uh, in the traffic, you better spend it on your sofa. There will be more... <laughs> you know it will be more beneficial you're absolutely right and i think one thing that we've forgotten is where we've come from you go back 210 240,000 years when you know we were all cave people we were controlled by the light just the same way as plants and uh, animals are you look at animals that hibernate whatever it's all controlled by the lighting conditions and we would get up in the morning We'd go out and hunt our woolly mammoth or whatever. You'd get this dose of serotonin. You'd chase this woolly mammoth down. You'd drag them back to the cave in the evening. And um, then you, as the sun went down, you'd get the warmer light as the light has further to come through the atmosphere. And that blocks out, that filters out the shorter bluer wavelengths, leaving the warmer red wavelengths. We receive that in our bodies. And then you sit around a campfire, which is warm light again. That's how we've evolved, and it tells our body to release melatonin, which is the hormone that supports a healthy sleep pattern. And um, that's the way we've evolved. We've only had effective artificial lighting for 150 odd years. We haven't evolved quickly enough as the human animal to deal with that unnatural situation. Can you stop a little bit more at this blue light and red light topic? My boyfriend just ordered this Philips light, the sticky kind of a rope that you put wherever you want. In our case, it's around the table. And you can regulate with, the, with your smartphone the type of light you want at a certain day or you know, maybe it's task-related. How does it help us to concentrate? The blue light helps us concentrate and the warmer light relax which is in my case i think is totally the opposite there's two things here one is the spectral distribution of the light because you can sometimes have a light that appears a certain color but the spectral distribution might not actually be in tune with the color that we're seeing but generally what happens is and if we go back to the point about the caveman and the sun and so on the sun comes up in higher in the sky the light from the sun has less distance to travel through the atmosphere. So that allows the shorter blue wavelengths to to reach us. And then as it goes down in the evening, 
the light has much further to travel, that filters that out. That's the way we've evolved. We can now, with LED, with tunable LED, we can change the spectral distribution and the color. Now, those two things can be aligned. Sometimes in poor quality LED, they're not aligned, <laughs> unfortunately. But if you're talking about Philips, you're generally talking about a quality product. So what happens is in the morning, um, and I've, I've got a light by my desk here, which follows a curve. I put in a little few questions and answers and ask me about my day when I feel most productive, when I finish, when I want to relax, and it changes the color temperature of the light um, as I go through the day. And Do you mean it's, a, it's kind of a smart lamp? It's controlled by an app on my phone, and that asks me some questions about my day. What, what time do I normally start work? What do I find as my most productive hours? When do I pause for lunch? When do I feel the most tired? When do I finish work? And what it will do is it will follow a curve. It will produce a curve for me, and it talks to the light by Bluetooth, and it tells the light to change the spectral dis distribution. I can override it if I want to. So if in the evening... I'm needing to write a report that's got to be on somebody's desk tomorrow morning <laughs> and I need a bit of a boost of energy, I can override it and say, give me a bit of blue light now. But I don't do that after about nine o'clock because I don't want to throw my circadian rhythms straight out the door. And that leads us on, obviously, to other conversations about people using screens late at night and getting a dose of blue light and that affecting their sleep patterns. Yeah, it's yeah. all very interconnected. <laughs> That's true. So you used to do this kind of work, arranging the light for the offices, right? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, do you see people now approaching you with the same task, but for individuals? Yes, you do get that. Um, what's happened in recent times is, we'll go a couple of steps back, in the, in the 90s, when they were called VDU screens, but computer screens were coming in, we had a real problem with glare. And the guidelines that we had here in the UK restricted the amount of light that we could have falling onto the computer screens. And the problem with that is that what that produced was a very unnatural type of light for people. And we had these huge, deep plan, deep core offices, and you might have people sitting 12, 15 meters away from any natural light through a window and sitting under this homogenous, uniform light all day. No idea of how time was passing. So <laughs> it, no wonder their circadian rhythms got thrown out. And we had this thing called sick building syndrome, which was very prevalent in the 80s and 90s. Now, more lately, we've got initiatives like the Well Standard which has come in from the States, and we're now on version two. And light is one of the, the core elements of the world standard. They've recognized now that as people, we are, we're not machines, we are an animal, and we, are, we have different moods. Some days we're good, some days we're bad, but also we're very neurodiverse. Some people have sensitivities to one condition, some have sensitivities to another condition. And then there's the emotional aspect as well, in that we feel like we want to have some control over our own environment. And that was largely taken away in the 90s when we had control systems that dictated to people 
how their lights were and when they were on and when they were off and how much light they had. And um, it was a bit like the old George Orwell 1984 thing that uh, people felt controlled. And we naturally, we rebel against it emotionally, but also it's not very good for us on a physiological uh, level as well. With the world standard, we've now come full circle really, suddenly saying, ah, people are actually quite important and we need to design for people. It's still important to design the building efficiently, but what makes it effective as a space is if it works for the people that are inhabiting the space. And that is something that suddenly is, people are suddenly going, oh yeah, I didn't realise, I hadn't thought about that. (laughs) Well, actually, now we're thinking about it. And this coronavirus situation, if there's a silver lining here, it is that suddenly we have realised how important it is, A, that we look after ourselves, B, how important social interaction is, and C, how we need a healthy environment to live in. I'm hoping that we can use this as a springboard to even better things. Totally. The office, that that prehistoric office that you described, it was really my office last year. Everyone who is listening now has, you know, a second thought about whether their offices are really regulated because I doubt about my situation. I really doubt it's only the big light from the top. And I was sitting probably five meters away from the source of natural light. It's crazy. What kind of health issues are we opening ourselves up with this uh, pandemic in a way I want to say, not getting enough daily light. Here, for example, they closed the parks and all the recreational areas, later admitted that there was no need, and it was only used as a, as a method of psychological pressure, I quote. <laughs> yes. yeah. How important is that? I mean, obviously, light, daylight is important, but what will happen if we don't get enough? Well, what happens generally is that we just like a plant we wither and die basically <laughs> both emotionally and um phys- in a physiological sense we need light um we need vitamin d we need sunlight to keep our circadian rhythms in in check so that we get a healthy sleep pattern if we're deprived of healthy sleep that lowers our uh, immune responses as well and lays us open to all sorts of uh, nasty Uh, viruses other than coronavirus and also it has effects on things like blood pressure uh, and particularly neuro conditions so if you've got anxiety or dementia or autism different things can be triggered by different lighting conditions and while there is usually quite a lot of wrong answers in doing lighting equally there can be a lot of right answers because we are different it's right answers for whom it's who are we lighting for? What is the task they're performing? When are they doing it? And where are they doing it? And unless we take those things into account, we really don't stand a chance of being able to provide a decent lighting environment for people. So what can it cause? Um, there's even been some research that's been linking breast cancer with poor light conditions. Now, I don't know how, whether that's been improved yet. I saw an early paper um, about that. But one thing is for sure, that if we don't get the right environment around us, then 
it does reduce our ability to fight off all sorts of nasty uh, diseases and conditions. And of course, we now have the concept of biophilia, and that's coming in, and light is an important part of that. And I'm really pleased to see this concept of biophilia coming in. Expand here a little bit more. What is biophilia? Yeah. Biophilia basically is a connection with nature and designing for nature generally, regarding us just as another another piece of the fauna we are just another animal that lives on this earth that we have particular requirements for but we also have a requirement to be in connection with nature so you see now green walls going into offices and uh, and shopping centers this sort of thing you're seeing more gardens opening up more planting of trees in urban areas and these days you mentioned the parks being closed suddenly they realized that as people were going out they needed to be able to walk around their local park and their lake or whatever i've got a local park here with a lake and i go and see the ducks and the swans and the geese and the little babies and you see everybody there going oh this is great this is lovely and some people said i never realized we had this on our doorstep <laughs> yeah it lifts people you can see people are smiling people are chatting about it it's great and we must not forget, you know, we're not an ubermensch. <laughs> we are just people and we are just part of the natural world. And light is a very important part of that. And I don't think it's really had the, um, had the credit that it deserves in creating a healthy environment for us. I'm already thinking, I noticed uh, where I live in the apartment that I almost never use the, the big overhead light. I try to play the mood with smaller kind of sources of light that I have. Designing for, you know, biophilia or not, uh, that I will need to research a bit more. But you as a light, light and designer, what would be your, I don't know, top five recommendations? When the apartment is already there, so you, you cannot influence the backstage of it in making, uh, what would you do? Well, very much like you do, Anna, I don't have my overhead light on hardly ever. Um, I use side lights, I use hidden lighting to create atmospheres and different colours. And that's the sort of thing that we, we really crave as, as an, on an emotional response. Going back to the theatre, if you think about a lovely musical and the, it's all nice and bright, the, the lighting's lovely and you feel happy, you go and see a mystery, something like The Woman in Black or whatever like this, before anything scary has even happened, you feel anxious because the lighting is dark, sharp contrasts, it's coming from unnatural angles. They may have the light from below or just from the side instead of a general homogenous light. And that makes us feel a bit anxious. We're expecting, going back to the cavemen, you're expecting any minute, I don't know, a saber-toothed tiger or something to jump out on you. And we cannot get rid of those instinctive responses that they are hardwired into our brains. What we crave in our homes and what we should have is the ability to be flexible, to change our lighting around to suit our mood. If you're doing a task, make sure that you've got adequate lighting for your task. A lot of that is age dependent. So you might have a, like a 19 year old intern sitting at one side of a workstation or whatever. And me, as a more mature person, would need at least twice as much, maybe even four times as much light on my task 
to perform it satisfactorily as that younger person because naturally our lenses get a yellow tint over time which affects also our color vision and but certainly our acuity our visual acuity so we have to think about all of these things and the first thing i say to people is who are we lighting for who are they what age they what conditions may they have what's their emotional state and what are they doing in this are they learning are they relaxing are they getting better are they studying <laughs> so all of these different situations you have to work that out and then apply the light equally so first one as you say get rid of that top light it's unnatural we don't want that to have light coming maybe from unusual places is great because that gets us all oh, a bit excited that gets our emotions going to change the color temperature of the light and spectral distribution through the day is very good and you can quite easily do that you don't need to have to go to tunable you can quite easily do that most good quality led light sources you can buy now in the shops you can achieve what they call 2700 degrees kelvin or below which is what you want at night time when you normally have your lights on at home don't i've seen places that are selling led light sources at 5000 degrees kelvin that may be great in the morning don't have that on in the evening <laughs> you want 2700 degrees kelvin or below for adequate evening light that won't inhibit the production of melatonin um so yeah be creative be flexible don't have the overhead light just play with your emotions listen to what you want listen to yourself listen to your body and your brain but only now that we started talking i realized like, oh maybe the light was the problem with my recent state and headaches and migraines and so on it's a huge thing and of course geography is important as well is you when you get nearer the equator where they have more light the incidence of seasonal affective disorder is much much lower and as you come up through the latitudes um you come up through europe it's like one in ten people can be affected by seasonal affective disorder you get into scandinavia one in four people can be affected <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. By, affected by seasonal affective disorder yeah. so it's a huge thing and whereas at one point people were seen as being oh you, you, you're such a poor sensitive soul <laughs> it's now being seen as actually it's a real thing and i had the pleasure of working with a, a lady called nina nina sheldon who is building a hub for people with seasonal affective disorder she has the condition herself and it's it's amazing because you see people all they need to do is make some small behavioral changes and it can make a massive difference to their lives unfortunately sometimes you might say to them well you really need to move from the north of norway to spain <laughs> and that cannot be done but um we there are things available technologies available that can assist them um, some behavioral changes as well with the remote work we probably can i am yes. <laughs> well we have the technology it's a bit like the six million dollar man we have the technology uh, and we can rebuild them yeah it's a very important um thing and as i say i don't think light has really got the um the credence that it deserves um and i think part of that is the lighting industry's fault i don't think they've stepped up enough to say look this is really important you go to the supermarket the first thing you do is you check the labels on the food to make sure it's not got too many calories, too much salt, too much fat. We're always told we need a certain amount of exercise. No one tells you 
go out in the morning, 20, 30 minutes, get some morning light. Don't look at screens with blue light after 10 o'clock. This isn't widely available, and it should be. And if it was, it would make a huge difference. Uh, these pieces of advice are so simple that we often just we don't notice, like your park I, and lake outside. I think that's part of the problem. It is so simple that we don't actually realize how important it is. There's a lady called Linda Geddes who has written a book called Chasing the Sun, which is all about how the light, the sunlight and daylight affects us. And she spent some time with the Amish community in the US. And obviously they eschew electric light. They don't have electric light at all. And so they get up with the sun and they go to bed shortly after it gets dark. And they have the lowest incidence of seasonal affective disorder in the Northern Hemisphere, simply because they have gone back to a way of life that was common for all of us. As the Industrial Revolution went through, of course, we completely changed. And now we're expected to be able to be able to work 24-7. We're not built that way. <laughs> I don't know anything about this community, but do they follow the same more or less lifestyle as us, general public? Well, yes and no, Anna. It's a difficult one. Um, I have uh, I've seen an Amish community in Canada, um, and of course they go around with like, these little scooter things where they push they don't even have a bicycle with a chain because that's a mechanical thing but they have like a scooter that they push along with their feet um, or they have a horse and, and buggy that sort of thing and they they don't have the technology that we have a much simpler kind of life but you know they seem pretty happy <laughs> otherwise they would move they would change it but as i say the evidence is there in the fact that they have such a low incidence of seasonal affective disorder yeah, yeah, that you just reminded me of um, my last week's travel to Sahara, the Moroccan part of Sahara, and we went really deep with the guide into the into the desert, where we met Bedouins, and okay. this is the, their lifestyle. There is no light, there is no electricity. They move. They are uh, what is it called nomads. Uh, they move from one place to another. They have a little bit of uh, animals with them, cows and uh, I think donkeys. And, and that's all. They eat, they get some food, they get some water somewhere. That's the lifestyle. I managed to speak to one of those uh, guys that went out to the civilization, studied a little bit, not even writing, just um, the speaking in French and Arabic and uh, managed to open a little hostel by the by the desert and he shared with me like there is no school there is no light we don't read we don't do much of that so these people are really do exist nowadays that really live by the sun they do and i'm not saying that artificial light is bad because it isn't necessarily you've got to look at maybe some of the the poorer areas uh, where education for children has been lacking and uh, light now with solar panels you can build up energy you can save that in um, energy source of battery and you can have some light so that children can study at night uh, during the day they're probably helping their parents milking the cows or herding the, the sheep or whatever they're doing but at night they want to study so it can be a very good thing but it needs to be always done in tune with what our physiological and our psychological or emotional needs are 
And we can do it. We just need to think about it. Yeah. So to wrap it up, back to the natural light, back to the natural uh, systems, take care of your circadian rhythm, sleep when it's time to sleep and the sun is down, wake up as much as you can with the light. Yeah. Once the day just starts and uh, walks. It sounds really very simple, doesn't it? <laughs> but it works. And we have allowed ourselves to be molded into almost like a robotic state. We've forgotten our, our roots and we just need to look back to look forward. And as I say, I'm hoping that with recent events that it has awakened something in so many people that we realise that we are, we're an emotional being. And some people accused me some time ago, oh, you're just an old hippie. But, you know, it's so true. We, we have to look at our emotions and, and we play to those. And we have to say, it's important for me. And if I'm feeling better, then I'm going to be nicer to you. And it just spreads the kindness. <laughs> it's yeah. the mood. It's the mood. It's so true. When you said you were working in the theatre, I... You reminded me of my first job. We're colleagues in a way. I used to work at the mass at mass events, like opening right. of the stadiums. By the way, with your colleagues too from Manchester, and I was fascinated by by light, by light, by sound. Uh, what else we had there? Video things on the field of play. But I was in the stage management. And the person, by the way, who is helping me with, uh, with the podcast, so all sorts of micro-content, she's also my fellow stage manager. Okay, yeah. Well, it's so important, isn't it? And you, when you go to, to music gigs, we expect to have a light show. And how does that enhance the, the feeling of the gig? You know, the, the lights pulsing in, in time to the beat and everything else. Does, if that doesn't tell you, that it's an important part of our emotional makeup, then there's no hope, quite frankly. <laughs> we really need to uh, just pay a bit more attention to our lit environment. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mood, mood is, is uh, exactly, you don't, you don't see it. You don't really see what changes your mood with your eyes. You cannot touch it, but pop and, and the change yeah. is there. Yeah. As I say, just remember that all those little photons, they're just little packets of energy and grab those packets of energy and store them away and you'll feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for this, um, for opening a little bit the curtain uh, to light. Uh, maybe there is one piece of advice you would like to share with the listeners of Sustainability Explored. Yes, uh, that is look to yourself and be aware of your own needs, whether that's physiological or emotional, and make sure you get some morning light each day if you can. As simple as that. Thank you. Thanks so much. And you, it's sunny outside, so uh, I'm going to go outside a bit later on and get another dose. <laughs> Lucky you. If I go outside, I will be by a pouring rain. <laughs> Thank you very much, Anna. It's very nice of you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, do let me or Terry know. We are both easily foundable on LinkedIn. 
If you like the podcast, please consider subscribing if you haven't done so yet, sharing on your social media, leaving a review and rating on a platform you're listening on. I would appreciate a lot if you rate us on our Podchaser page and leave a review there. I reply each and everyone in person. By taking your time to give your honest feedback, you help me improve it, improve the show, and also you help more people interested in practical aspects of sustainability to discover this channel. I'd also like to use this opportunity to invite you to check some other related episodes out, as for example the episode I did with Lee Chambers from Essentialize, who is also, by the way, from the UK. The episode is called Wellbeing, Health and Environmental Psychology with Lee Chambers from Essentialize. This one is uh, very close to the topic we discussed today with Terry. Other than that, uh, we have a lot of exciting interviews and guests covering a range of topics from bedsheets, flowers, buildings, business models, urbanism and cities, tourism, finance, turtle conservation, fashion and economy, uh, to name just a few. Of course, there are many, many more already. Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions or suggest guests or topics you'd like me to cover in the future. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 44, and me, your host, Anna Chashina. Thank you very much for listening, for being with us today, and until next time, next Thursday. Take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye.